And good morning, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan, McCartan After Midnight, and I'll be talking all things New York sports with you. We got until 6 a.m. together on this early Sunday morning. It's an honor to be with you following the New York Yankees' total domination of the Houston Astros in Game 1 of the American League Championship Series. And I'm coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio in Lower Manhattan. I have Kevin Wall behind the glass. He's already done a great job tonight. And he's ready, willing, and able to take your phone call. So you guys know the number, 877-337-6666. And let's load them up with your best Yankees, Mets, Giants, Jets content. Whatever you have. We've also got a very special guest for you at 440 AM. I had a guessing game on my social media channels to see if you guys could guess who it is. And that's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan earlier tonight. And man, you guys are quick. You guys guessed it real quick. World Series winning catcher Jim Larich joins us a little bit later, about 4.40 on McCartan after midnight to discuss Game 1 ALCS, ALCS action, to preview Game 2 action, and to give his thoughts on former teammate Joe Girardi's fit with the Mets' managerial position. And also to remember his time in pinstripes with a hilarious story from the ticker tape parade. And we are three hours into Sunday, October 13th. As the days on your October calendar take away, doesn't it just get more and more exciting here in New York with these Yankees? Let's fill this moment with Pitbull and Christina Aguilera. Now, the Houston Astros came out flat in front of 43,311 at Minute Maid Park just a few hours ago. The hush over the crowd for the last six innings was thanks to two Yankees Game 1 standouts, Masahiro Tanaka and Glaber Torres. Masahiro Tanaka said through a translator at his opening press conference, and this is a quote from the translator, you need to be better than the opponent. It comes down to the individual being able to execute and be able to do his job. Well, tonight, Masahiro Tanaka was the better individual starter out there. The stat line, the final stat line for him was six innings pitched, one hit, zero runs, one walk, four strikeouts, and his cumulative career postseason ERA 1.32. And that includes tonight. 1.32. Zach Granke, on the other hand, well, he also pitched six innings, but he gave up seven hits, three runs, all earned, six strikeouts, and two home runs on 83 pitches. Two homers. And the Yankees absolutely needed to take game one. Obvious, right? From the Houston Astros on their home field. And why? Because the next two pitchers the Yankees are going to face are Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole. And how do I know that the Yankees absolutely needed to take game one like no other option? Well, I really don't. But I can use my brain. Aaron Boone lined up Tanaka, his best postseason pitcher, against Granke, the Astros' third best pitcher. Why didn't he line up Paxson for the start in game one? Because he knew that there was a chance that Paxton-led Yankees could succumb to Granky-led Astros. He obviously did not want to take that chance, opting for the lights out in playoff time. Ice flows through his veins, Masahiro Tanaka, who became the hero, Masahiro, of Game 1 for the Yankees. And for me, I kind of would have let him start the seventh inning. There were really no hard-hit balls up until that point. 
He had only given up one hit. I think it was like 63 pitches in total. He had a 5 nothing run support cushion. And the defense was playing absolutely outstanding behind him. And due up next, I looked, was Springer, who was 0-2 with a strikeout already. Brantley was 0-2. And Altuve, who was 0-2 with a strikeout. What's not to what's not to like about those numbers? I would just start him in the seventh, yank him at the first sign of trouble, but let him get back out there. He deserved it. And this is where the rubber meets the road when people talk about analytics and gut managing. And I would have put him back out there. First base runner gets on, yank him. Because then you don't have to use Adovino. You don't have to use Britain. Maybe you could just maybe go right to Loisaga the way Tanaka was pitching. So it's set up as Tanaka through six innings. Adovino and pitched the one inning in the seventh. Britain pitched the eighth. Loisaga got the ninth. And the Yankees didn't even need to use Aroldis Chapman. And that's great news for game two. Because basically, Aaron Boone is working with a full deck of pitchers, including pitcher number 13, CC Sabathia. Not number 13, I'm talking 13th on the ALCS roster. Out of In the ALDS, they had 12. They added CC and he's 13. I really have no problem with the Yankees keeping CC on the ALCS roster, or even Hicks, for that matter, because they replaced Voigt and Wade. And those were two postseason non-factors, the both of them. And both Hicks and CC, I mean, they could see significant roles, something Voigt and Wade would never and haven't yet. Hicks could be using for his defense, for his hit for average. And CC. I mean, his role's got to be a long reliever, just like Jay Haps is going to be, I assume. For me, though, besides Tanaka's excellent performance, the star of Game 1 was the youngest AL player to ever have five RBIs in a postseason game, Glaber Torres. And I tweeted, I look back, around 2 p.m. on October 1st, What's today? Today's the 13th, almost two weeks ago, that Gleyber Torres was going to be the World Series MVP. And he got off to a really good start tonight. Does anything phase Gleyber Torres at the plate? He was sixth in the order in the ALDS. Boone moved him up to third in the ALCS. And how did he repay him? Oh, well, Torres went three for five. Five RBIs. Two of them came with two out. Seven total bases and a homer. And at 22 years of age, he has figured out clutch hitting. He came through in a huge way tonight, Glaber Torres did. And uh, Brian Hoke tweeted that teams that take a 1 0 lead in the ALCS have gone 30 and 19. That's why that game was so important tonight, especially in Houston. Now, the Yankees are going to turn their attention later today where James Paxson is set to take on Astros ace Justin Verlander. Now, Verlander, the, the, the Tampa Bay Rays were able to chase Verlander out quite early in one of the games after 3.2 innings in game four of the ALDS. At that point, he had succumbed or given up seven hits, four earned runs. So everyone knows that Verlander is not made of Teflon but Garrett Cole might be. 
Cole fanned 15 rays in game two, and he fanned 10 rays in game five. And at MLB Stats on Twitter tweeted uh, earlier tonight, in all series with the current 2-3-2 format, you know, two home, three away, two home again, those, those teams that win the first two games on the road, which would be the Yankees, if they win the first two games on the road, have gone on to win the series 88% of the time. You tell me game two isn't just as important, in, as, important as game one? The, the, those teams winning the first two games on the road have gone on to win the series 88% of the time. That's why it's so important for the Yankees to take game two versus Verlander today. But it might be tough because I looked up his career numbers against these current Yankees, including postseason play. And the Yankees have only hit a combined 195 against Verlander with a 583 on base plus slugging. And I looked through, I would say DJ LeMay, who's got the best numbers. He only bats 333 versus him, though. And I think maybe next would be, let's see, Didi Gregorius. He bats 318. In his career, Verlander has only given up seven home runs to these current Yankees. Seven. Incarnacion's got two of them. Gardner's got one. Gregorius has got one. Of course, Judge has one. LeMahieu has one. And Stanton. How about Stanton tonight? Finally getting on the, on the board to the deepest part of the park with a bomb. Oh, we have so much more to discuss about tonight's game and how the Yankees and the Astros match up for game two, more importantly almost. And that's set to be played later today, about 8.08 p.m., I think I saw. Let's say everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Now, Giants fans, Don't go hitting that panic button, Giants fans, because that's my message to you from David Lee Murphy and Kenny Chesney. Everything's going to be all right. Sure, your team is 2-4, and four, but the Giants defense played out of its mind versus the best team in the league far and away, the New England Patriots in prime time on Thursday night. I mean, everybody, including myself, tuned in expecting the Giants to be blown out by halftime. But... There's just something about them that always seems to have Tom Brady's number. And while the Giants came up short, it was a valiant effort. There will be some returning of the troops. And that's why I said don't hit the panic button, or Kenny Chesney told you not to. Because at the very least, we should see Saquon Barkley back in action at home versus the Arizona Cardinals. And just the mere presence of him in the backfield forces defense to account for him thus opening up different holes for Daniel Jones in the passing game. And let's be honest, there was little to no threat out of the backfield in his absence. That allows the defense to take away the pass and and focus on the one dimension of a rookie quarterback. The Giants versus the Patriots, they, they hung in there. They hung in there with the best team in the NFL until about six minutes left in the game, despite owning three turnovers to that point. At that moment, though, Pat Shermer did not go for it on fourth down. I think it was fourth and two or three. Down two possessions, 14 points, late in the fourth quarter. 
Instead, he elected to punt into the strong wind, which they've been talking about all night. It was a 30-yard punt total. And he put the ball right in the hands of the ultimate clock manager in, in TB12. At that point, the game was over. At least take the chance of maybe converting it on fourth down. But give it back to Brady, game over. Missed the conversion attempt, game over. Make the conversion attempt? Who knows? But I did turn the game off right after that punt. Sometimes I test your trust. Sometimes I don't know why you stay with me. I'm hard to love, hard to love. Oh, I don't make it easy. Well, I couldn't now that's Lee Bryce with Hard to Love. And the Jets are hard to love this season. And in, they have, they certainly haven't made it easy to love them. They're 0-4. They've had a litany of injuries. And they have a head coach that is in over his head. Their offense ranks last or near last in almost every single offensive category. The defense isn't terrible, actually, which makes it hard to love them. Do you love them? Do you hate them? However, Sam Darnold, the anointed one, will make his return to the Jets lineup after being out with mononucleosis, like a high schooler, from at the day after game one. I think they, the original tweet's saying it was strep throat. Then it became mono. It's been debated as to whether or not Darnold should even come back with the absolutely atrocious offensive line that's supposed to be protecting him. Supposed to be. However, him coming back is the right decision. It's only going to make him a better player. The Cowboys' secondary is top flight, so the Jets will have lots of underneath stuff in their game plan. It's quick and comfortable for him. The Cowboys are favored by a touchdown in this one. I really think it should be a wider spread. Maybe that's the Sam Darnold effect. Hopefully Adam Gase can come up with a sensical game plan and play to his strengths, but isn't predictable to the fact that Bell would be the only guy getting the ball in the ground and in the air. It must involve other playmakers, but Chris Herndon, he's making that real difficult. He's sidelined. The Jets' tight ends have a league low five catches. And for the New York Mets, well, the Mets have lined up a few candidates for in-person interviews. Who are you? Who is going to be the Mets' next manager? Carlos Beltran seems to be the first person to get a sit-down interview on Friday. John Heyman said he's a very serious candidate for the job. But but didn't a source close to Beltran say he wasn't even interested? Mets quality control coach Luis Rojas will get an interview too. Derek Shelton, who's the Twins bench bench coach. Mike Bell, the Diamondbacks director of player development. His brother is the manager of the Reds. I'm sure you heard that. And, of course, Joe Girardi are lined up for this upcoming week. John Gibbons, Dusty Baker, and Buck Showalter have all been discussed internally but not contacted to this point. As far as I'm concerned, it's still Joe Girardi or bust for the Amazons, and the longer this takes, the worse it is for the Mets. Girardi could choose to go home to Chicago, and that would be the worst-case scenario for the Mets. They need to extend an offer to him ASAP. Let's hit some calls after the break. All is on the table. Can't wait to talk to you guys. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on The Fan. To win. They needed to win game one. If they had any chance of, of winning the ALCS. The Yankees, I'm saying. The last time the Yankees and Astros faced off in the ALCS, every the home team won every single game. That's why tonight the Yankees needed to win. They must also win two games started by either Verlander and Cole. So we're looking ahead to game two already. We are, as fans, as 
analysts looking already ahead to game two. And the the the, the idea for the Yankees was to out-hit and out-bullpen the Astros. And, of course, they did that tonight. And that's got to be maintained. I put up a poll at Coach McCartan on Twitter right before I came up on, on the air here, and I wrote, who is your who is your ALS, ACLS, game one, Yankees hero of the game? I gave you a Tanaka or Torres or other. And surprisingly enough, despite Tanaka's shutdown performance, Torres came out on top. Well, it was close. 52% voted for Torres. 44 said Tanaka and 4% said other. And I had done I had run some numbers McCartan math one of the other times I was on here and I wrote an article saying how in Houston the Yankees have a problem. And they did. But at the time, I reran those same numbers earlier today. The Yankees outbat the Astros. I'm talking in batting average in 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 the postseason, 2019 postseason, the Yankees have a higher batting average. They score more runs a game. They have a higher on-base percentage, a higher on-base plus slugging. They hit more home runs a game. They hit more obviously then they have more RBIs a game, and they have more total bases a game. The New York Yankees. The relief pitching will skip to. Yankees ERA is better than that of the Astros. Batting average against is better than that of the Astros. And the runs per outing is better than that of the Astros. I'm sure you knew that. We've talked about the Yankees bullpen for long periods of time on on this show. But then I looked at the starters. In the postseason in 2019, the Yankees starters have a lower ERA. And the Yankees starters also allow less runs per game. The only advantage the Astros have is in batting average against. They have a lower batting average against. Scott and Glenn Cove, you're on the fan. Daniel, I just want to say, as a diehard Mets fan, to hear these Yankee fans talking about how they were upset that Aaron Bowen pulled Tanaka, this is why the Mets fans hate the Yankee fans. It is just <laughs> the arrogance. It is just so annoying. So I just, I wanted a vent. So if you like the vent, I really appreciate it. And I'm picking Houston in six. Oh, well, as a true Mets fan, Scott, he would pick Houston in six. Um I'm not I'm not complaining that the Yankees took Tanaka out. I just think why do you take him out if he's got he's pitching a one hitter versus the most potent or one of the most potent offenses in the entire MLB. You leave him in until you have one sign of trouble, then you get a short hook and you yank him. But the analytics say not to do that. The analytics say to let him get through the order twice and then the numbers explode or, or after that I haven't looked at them myself but apparently that's what they say because why else would the Yankees have taken him out Willie Manhattan you're on the fan how are you thanks for taking my call hey, anytime what do you got um all right so first of all big Yankee fan tonight was one of the best nights I can remember in a long time just with the way everything went down I want to make one really quick point and then a point about Tanaka where yeah. I agree with you mm-hmm. Um, the first point is about tomorrow's starter. I wanted them to go Severino. He's better uh, on the road, and Paxton's better at home. And I just felt like I know the last time he pitched in Houston, he had a complete game shutout. So I just want to kind of throw that out there. But the bigger point is with Tanaka, the last call, I don't know what he's talking about. We're, we're trying to win the game. And just like you said, I thought I like Aaron Boone. But to me, taking Tanaka out 
was lunacy. I thought, you want to think about the first sign of danger because of the numbers? That's totally fine, but not when he's unhittable. And the longer he goes, the more demoralizing it is for Houston. They kind of got a couple hits off out of Vino, yep. this and that, and then Last thing, Jeff Nelson on the post game, the guy who's won multiple rings, he was a really good reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, he said the whole thing about, you know, because Michael Kay was like, well, maybe they just felt they were rusty and they were, you know, they hadn't pitched in a while and he wanted to give them work. Nelson said, that's bull. He said, you know, we want as much rest as possible. And all you did now was get these Houston hitters a little more familiar with some of your bullpen guys. Right. So to me, it just made zero sense. Again, first sign of danger, that's fine. But he was unhittable tonight. You keep him at least through the seventh, you know? Yeah. And, and and didn't your heart skip a couple beats when uh, there was that error up the middle, miscommunication between Didi, and then you're, you're sitting there like, oh, my God, this this could be it. This could be I, the, the swing of the that pendulum. To, that cut the boon in the dugout. And yep. it's like all of a sudden the stadium had lights. Because you know what yep. I said to myself? I said, what is Houston hoping to see when the when – the, seventh inning starts. Is Houston hoping to see Tanaka, or are they hoping to see Tanaka out of the game? And we gave them what they wanted. So again, they won the game. It's a great thing. I'm thrilled, but strategically I did feel that was a major blunder. Yeah, and and, and Will, thanks for the call. Great call. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think of it that way either. That, you know, now you're exposing the bullpen and their their, you know, pitch selection and their pitch sequencing to the opposition. And you didn't need to. Unnecessarily, you did that. And I'm not complaining to the Mets fans. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that you got to ride the hot hand. I always say that. You have to ride the hot hand, and Tanaka was the hot hand. He had a one-hitter going. A one-hitter. Maybe he finishes the seventh, and you only show your hand on two relievers. Maybe it's Adovino and Loisaga. Maybe it's... And also, too, did you see um, Britain, the control issues? I mean, that, that, was, that was exposed. That was exposed in this game. So, yeah, it was a complete game. And then the other thing when he said about Paxton and, uh, and Severino, about the order of, of, in which they pitched, the only thing I could think of why they would do it that way is because Paxton's a lefty and balls fly out of Yankee Stadium versus lefties. That might and Severino's a righty, so that might be the reason why. I kind of like it. I do like it that way because then you also have um, Paxton available for the you know the second half of the series, as well as Tanaka. And we don't. No one really knows exactly what Severino is at this point either. You know that would be like a like a long reliever type game. You'd have to have CC ready to go for that. Hap ready to go for that. Um. Yeah, but but that's what I think. That's what I think. Um, that came down to lefty righty matchups. Kevin, Newark, New Jersey. You're on the fan. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Just want to talk about the Yankees bullpen. Uh, we had a great game, great win today. Very happy about that. But uh, a little nervous about Canley and Adovino. Uh, they've been getting hit around a little bit, and then we got Chapman hasn't pitched in a week. Just want to know what you think about that and how we uh, how that affects the rest of the series going forward. Um. Yeah, Kevin. Thanks for the call. Um, Adovino got knocked around a little bit. Um, it was uh, a little bit, uh, what's that word? Tenuous? That's the word I'm looking for. It was a little tenuous um, because MVP chants were raining down for Bregman after that miscommunication between Didi and Glaber. First and third, one out. Grounds to shortstop. Didi to second, out number two. 
Then on to first. DJ picks it off the ground. DJ LeMayhew. Bregman's called safe. But LeMayhew immediately calls for that challenge. No harm, no foul on that miscommunication. It ended up not hurting the Yankees because it was reviewed and it was inning-ending double play, as it should have been. And it was an absolute momentum killer. Um, but next, it wasn't Canley. It was Britain that had come in. They switched out also Stanton. They put Mabin in, which I thought was interesting because why not go with Aaron Hicks there? Because the point I would make is you're up 5 nothing. Why wouldn't you go with Hicks? You put him in in a non-pressure situation. He hasn't seen a game action in a very long time, live pitching. I mean, you could simulate it all you want. In, you know, sim games that you practice in, but in a non-pressure situation, you're up five zero. Why not give Hicks the uh, the end there? And then uh, out of Vino got Alvarez swinging and Swinger uh, Springer swinging, and then Diaz chopped out to Gregorius. So that was the end of the eighth. Then you brought in Loizaga, and I liked the move not bringing in Chapman. You didn't need to. I liked it. Um, you brought Loisega in, he did the job, and you got out of there with a 5 nothing victory. Jeff in Fairview, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Good. All right, I want to talk about the Yankee series real quick and then the Jets real quick. For first, you're a Yankee Giant fan? Uh, I, you know what? I root for all New York teams, and I know people would say, like, that's ridiculous, but I, I really do. I, I root for all of them. Okay, I just wanted to get that straight. All right, Yankee series. Verlander against Paxson. I think Paxson is going to get hit. So lefties, uh, Houston's got a lot of righties. Now, so if whoever wins the second game, if the Yankees win it, they, I think he's going to win the series. Well, because 80, 80% then of the time, got, the, the, the away team that wins, wins the series. Yeah, wins two games, wins the series. Yeah, I, I think wh- whoever wins the second game, going to win the series because however if Houston wins it then they got Colgo in the third game and you know what Joe Torrey says about those third games are the most important game in the series and Cole's going to pitch in Yankee Stadium I, I don't think the Yankees are, are winning that that, that no, game I, d- I don't think so either yeah and okay on the Jets all right you say the Jets could probably think and dunk I, I guess you're right I know maybe we'll get a list from uh Sam Donald just like, you know, the Giants got a lift from Daniel Jones, at least the first two games. I know they lost their next two. So maybe we'll get a lift from uh, from Sam uh, Donald. Maybe the defense will play good, and maybe we'll pull this game out. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, I want to get quickly to the next game, the, the New England game. Mm-hmm. I think I have a theory. When Belichick didn't run up the score against the Jets in that first game, I think he did it because he knew we had to play them again. He didn't want to give us, like, bulletin board material. So I really believe <laughs> that's why he did it. Yeah, he's he thinks ahead. He's a small card. I mean, I, I hate New England. I'm a Jet fan. Yeah. But that's why I think he did not run up that score in that game. <laughs> or, thanks for the call, Jeff, or maybe he had money on the spread, maybe. No, I'm just kidding. You're not allowed to do that as an employee of the NFL. A um, lot of good stuff there. More to come. Yankees ALCS game two. Let's look at Paxton Verlander a little more in depth. Yankees, Mets, Jets, Giants. It's all there. 877-337-6666. And get on the phone. I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan. And we're back on the fan. I'm Daniel McCartan. And we have a ton of phone calls to get through. And I love it. 
Keep calling in 877-337-6666. Uh, listen, I just want to talk real quick. I, did, I ran some numbers. I did some McCartan math here. And I looked at Game 2 starters, Paxton versus Verlander, in terms of uh, one, two, three, four, five, six different categories. And um, Verlander wins in innings pitched. Verlander wins in hits per start. He has less hits per start. Verlander has a better ERA. Verlander has more pitches per start. And they both have given up two home runs. And the only category in which Paxton beats Verlander is strikeouts per start. Paxton averages 1.9 strikeouts a start. Verlander 1.27. And did you know that every pitcher on the Astros ALCS roster is a right-handed pitcher? And that's great news for the Yankees because Yankees versus right-handed pitchers is better than Yankees versus left-handed pitchers. And then just I looked at the postseason alone because that's always a different animal. Yankees against right-handed pitchers, they bat 309 with a 419 on base percentage, 999 on base plus slugging, and all of their five home runs prior to tonight's game this is. All of their fire of home runs prior to tonight have come off of right-handed pitchers. Richie and Monroe, you're on the fan. Hey, how are you? How are you doing tonight? Good. How are you? Very good, thanks. Uh, I just wanted to uh, call in and uh, tell you guys, hey, listen, man, there are a lot of guys, uh, a lot of people calling in and saying, hey, you know, this is a bad performance or whatever, you know, pulling to knock a little bit early and stuff like that. But I love the way that they did it tonight. It really showed that uh, that Booney really believes in this uh in this bullpen and you know they came in and they did their thing you know six innings of one hit ball but you know they kept the uh the pitch count down for him because you know Tanaka is a uh Tanaka is a big rest guy and you know and obviously we all know that but I mean he pitched a real true gem tonight and I mean when you have a second baseman who's the youngest guy to ever have that many RBIs in a game I mean it's, it is really something special and this is a special group and I mean you know I'm a bartender and uh, it was uh, it was really a lot of fun to watch this game tonight. And I don't I don't remember any time where I've ever had this much fun watching the game, watching them. And I mean, uh, another point to make real quick: mm-hmm. we've already done what we didn't do last year. Yep. You know, and we you know we Houston. needed it, we needed to get one in in Houston, and we did it already. So yep. we're already headed to the curve from last year. Yep. Definitely. I, I think the Yankees are, are going to go very far in this. I, and I think I just ran a poll on Twitter. And thanks for the call, Richie. I just I posted a, a poll on Twitter just now at Coach MCCARTAN. Who wins game two of the ALCS? And this is a special year. Um, and I put Yankees, Paxton in parentheses, and Astros and Verlander. Right now it's tied 50 50. You got 52 minutes left to get your vote in. Um, but I think um, I, I agree. This is a special year for the Yankees. Guys are stepping up. Different guys are stepping up in different ways. I mean, the hashtag is next man up on Twitter. Is it Torres that's going to be t- uh, Saturday game one, Saturday night's uh, savior and, and with the combination of him and Tanaka? Who's going to step up in game two? Is it going to be Torres again? I'm going to venture to guess no. I'm going to think it's somebody else. I'm going to th- I'm going to say right now that it's going to be DJ LeMahieu. Brian in West Palm Beach, you're on the fan. Yeah, I grew up in Westbury, and I can't stand Mets fans. I'll tell you the reason why. They're jealous, and I agree with the call before. Uh, Tanaka is pitching good, pitching really well. Why bring in Britain and Ottavino when they probably might need him? And you want to, you want to keep him out of, uh, uh, 
out of uh, coming into games so the Astro players don't see their pitches. Yeah. I play baseball for Florida State, and I grew up on Long Island, so I know my baseball really well. So I agree with the call before. If he's pitching that good, why bring in Ottavino and Britain where they can see them and know, know the pitches if we have to bring them in tomorrow or Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday? And that's the reason why I can't stand Mets fans, because they're a bunch of crybabies. <laughs> okay, let's take you know? it easy on the Mets fans, Brian. Thanks for, okay. thanks for the call. Um, yeah, uh, I guess... Uh, I mean, the Mets fans, they, um, they saw the World Series in, in, in 2000 and what was it, 15? So it's not that far ago. It's just that the Yankees have just totally dominated this season. And now the only team that was better than them this season, allegedly, was the Houston Astros. And look what happened tonight. The Yankees exploded. Not one of the games that the Yankees have played in in this postseason has been close. Not one. Not the Minnesota Twins. And not in game one, Houston Astros. And, of course, Zach Greinke is the third best pitcher on that uh, on that um, rotation. So you got Verlander, who is number one, Sunday night, tonight, later today. And then you got Cole at the stadium. Versus Severino, though. And Severino is still a question mark. No one really knows exactly what he is, but he did okay. He did okay the first time out. Benji in Oceanside, you're on the fan. Hey, uh, Danielle, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm good. Listen, I want to process this by saying, look, I'm not a Mets fan, but I think that... uh, all the, when one team dominates like the Yankees do, none of the playoff games are even close. It's not good for the sport as a whole. What do you think? I no, I disagree with that because let, let's put it this way: like um, when you watch a, a movie, a, a superhero movie, there's always a villain, there's always a character that you hate, and then there's always like you know the quote unquote good guy. If you're a Yankees fan, the Yankees are the good guys, and if you're not a Yankees fan, they're the heel. They're the enemy, and you love to hate them. I think it's good. It's just like if you're in a small market like Baltimore or, or Cincinnati or any of the places, any of those small market teams, you just come into the season and you know that you're not going to be able to beat the big guys. Well, I'm not so sure about that, Benji, because when you look at um, Tampa Bay, right, they're a small market team. Look what they did this postseason. They, they almost eliminated the Houston Astros, who's top, was it two pitchers or top three? I think it was just the top two pitchers on the Houston Astros. Their payroll this year is more than the entire Tampa Bay Rays team altogether. $15 million. Oh, $58 million. $58 million. So, I mean, that, that, that in and of itself should tell you that, um, that it's not all about the big market teams although it sometimes happens to be that way. I, I happened to go to, um, where was it, San Diego, San Diego Padres. See, I'm on a quest to go to all the baseball stadiums. I've done 17 so far. More on that if you guys want to talk about that. But when I had gone to San Diego, they have a San Diego Padres Hall of Fame, and it was the first small market team that I had, had visited. And um, I had seen that they have a Hall of Fame, or a Wall of Fame, I think they called it, and the tour guide was just so happy to explain that although these players didn't 
you know, win a World Series with the Padres. They are just so happy that they won a World Series elsewhere. And I couldn't wrap my mind around that. I, I just, I didn't understand that in total. But um, I think that the perfect counterpoint to that in, in this season anyway is the Tampa Bay Rays. They pushed the Houston Astros to the brink of elimination using a combination of, I would like to say that was a whole metrics thing that they had going. Analytics department, numbers game. And I think that's how they built the team to begin with. I mean, they don't have real stars on that team. And and to my best of my memory, that's not the first time they've done it like that. They were sneaky good this year. Tampa Bay Rays were sneaky good. And uh, as far as, you know, the Yankees being so dominant, bad for baseball, don't you want to tune into an elimination game, hypothetically, where, where, you know, the Yankees are the heel, the enemy, and then the whole rest of the country rallies around the other team? Isn't it like the Patriots always in the Super Bowl? You know, I went to ShopRite today, and I tweeted this out. I couldn't believe it. I walked in, I and I walked in right by the front door, and I walked to the right to go to the, you know, shopping. And I actually backpedaled with the cart, and I saw a display of New England Patriots napkins, a whole display case of them in New Jersey. And I'm like, I, I think I, I tweeted it, and I said, uh, I think uh, ShopRite New Jersey is already preparing for the Super Bowl. I mean, the Patriots are destined to go to the Super Bowl again this year, aren't they? But don't you love to hate them? When you see the maps of the GIFs online, or GIFs, whatever you call them, when, the, when New England is painted red with the Patriots logo and then the rest of the country is painted blue and for every other team, I think it's good. I think it's good for baseball. I think it's good that the Yankees are the heel. If you're a non-Yankee fan, they're the enemy. They're the one to be beaten. And we'll take more of your calls after the break. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. Hi, everybody. I'm Daniel McCartan back with you at 4.05 in the morning here on WFAN. We have lots of Yankees phone calls. I love it. Let's keep them coming. 877-337-6666. Um, and I, I just, you know, I'm really trying to get to the bottom of the fact or, or why Aaron Boone yanked Tanaka after uh, six full innings of work. And I had gone back, I looked at some stats between, what was it, 27 and t- 2017, 2018, and I found the answer, ladies and gentlemen. I think I, f- I found the answer. Because the third time through the order, Tanaka is not the Tanaka that we've no, grown to know and love. Because between 2017 and 2018, there was an 8% uptick in home runs. And furthermore, Tanaka gave up 28 home runs this entire season, uh, regular season, I should say. Ten of them came the third time through the order. Batters hit 309 and had a, a slugging percentage of 596. So I think that Aaron Boone knew that and did not want to chance it in the away ballpark and to ignite 
the crowd down there in Minute Maid. I haven't been there yet. That's somewhere I still have to go. The Yankees did not include Luke Voigt or Tyler Wade on the postseason roster. Instead, they opted for Hicks and CeCe, which, I mean, the ACLS roster. Uh, I, instead, they opted for Hicks and CeCe, and I kind of like the move because Tyler Wade, though he's really versatile, we always hear about that. And, and as a defender, I talk to him about that. He's not much of a hitter. And the Yankees made a defensive upgrade in this series anyway with Aaron Hicks. And that, at the same time, was a major offensive upgrade over Wade. And Wade, by the way, has never seen postseason action in his career. Hicks, 60 playoff at-bats. Let's head out to Kings Park. Carlo, you're on the fan. Good morning, Daniel. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Definitely talk about some Yanks and some Jets if I could. Yeah, you got it. Uh, as far as the Yanks go, we're playing with house money, Daniel. We, 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 did what we, we did what we were supposed to do. We accomplished this. Hopefully, we, I mean, this is gravy if we could get, get game two. I mean, that'd be, ins- that'd be insane. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, they just look like a juggernaut. They really, truly do. Um, Not one game has been close. Um, oh my! God. I mean, Glaber. What can you say about him? He's just amazing. He's my World Series MVP. I'm telling you. Oh, from your mouth to God's ears. <laughs> um, I, I just think they just they're just on a mission. They 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 look relentless. They really, truly do. Um, Tanaka, I mean, I have people at work that tell me that he's an okay pitcher. I go, are you kidding me? Look at his postseason record, and look at the way that man steps up. He is just night and day. He, he's, look, at his, look at his ERA. It's just amazing. I'd love to pick his brain about how his mentality changes. A switch is flipped, and I would love to know what that switch is. You know what it is, Daniel, all kidding aside? The man is an absolute gamer. Mm-hmm. He's an absolute gamer. The man is relentless. He knows, he knows when when to take it when to, when to take the speed off the ball when not. To, he is just a he's just a map, marvelous pitcher. It's just incredible. And I know I, what else too? I I think it was out of the batters, all the batters he faced. I think he got out to a first pitch strike on like fifteen of them or something like that. Something close to that, at least if it's and, not fifteen. And you know, you know, Don well watching baseball for, for over years. You know that when you get the first pitch as a strike. It makes the pitching a lot easier because, let me tell you right now, these guys can tee off like you wouldn't believe. But if you're able to maneuver maneuver the strike zone and, and get the first pitch in there, it, it makes the pitcher's job a lot easier. That's for sure, Danielle. Of course. And, and Carla, what do you want to say about the Jets real quick? As far as the Jets go, um, I love I love Sam. I, I, just, I just pray to God he does not get hurt. I'm, I'm praying <laughs> yeah. to God mm-hmm. because that's all we need. I mean, the season is completely lost. There's no getting around that. But, I mean, I know they want development from Sam and all that. But let's face it, this offensive line, if you could call it that, and I do mean offensive line, <laughs> um, they leave a lot to be desired because <laughs> Sam's going to be running for his life. Yep. And, and yep. <laughs> I mean, there's no way There's no way around that. Of course he's going to be running for his life. Carlo, thanks for the call. Um, the Jets offensive line. It, it, if it's not last in the NFL, it's like got to be second to last. They are that offensive line is terrible. It's actually terrible. They, the the Eagles entered Week Five having only recorded three sacks in four games. They sacked Luke Falk three times in the first half alone, ten times in total. Total loss was fifty nine yards. 
You can add 16 quarterback hits to that too. And Adam Gase at the end of the game said, you can't blame just the offensive line. Or should I do my Gase impression? They did a good job as far as bringing the house. They were blitzing on us, and we just didn't do a good job of getting the ball out a couple of those times. Gase, I'm going to ask you again. Are you watching the same game I am? Matt in Brookline, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. How's it going? Is it Brookline or Brooklyn? a long time. Or Brooklyn. Brooklyn or Brooklyn? Uh, I'm actually in Brickfield in oh, Connecticut. Oh, okay. Do you know Brickline in Massachusetts? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that Tom Brady lives right next door in Chestnut Hill. Oh, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah. All right, what do you got for us? Anyways, um, so why is CC Sabathia even on the roster? The Yankees are up 7 nothing, uh in this game tonight, and he's not in, even coming in in the ninth inning. So what's the point? Uh, we we could have Boyd on the roster. It just doesn't make any sense. I'll, uh, I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, okay, Thanks. Matt, thanks. Um, I, I think the most sensical uh, solution or sensical reason that CeCe's on the roster uh, I think is twofold. I think CC Sabathia, they might have missed him, uh, his leadership in the bullpen, and I, I mean in the uh, in the clubhouse. And I know that's like a, sort of like a cop out answer because no one really knows what he does. But in in that clubhouse for that team, but having been there, him and Brett Gardner are the only two that are remains from the the 2009 World Series, the last time the Yankees won a World Series or even made it to one. Um, so I think there's value in that. Um, and the Yankees are crushing the ball. They're knocking the snot out of the ball. So why have Luke Voigt on, on the roster as well? Because he was slumping right before the playoffs happened, right before the postseason happened. He was slumping. He was like one for, what was it, 23, something like that. And then they had him on the ALDS roster. He didn't see one pitch of action. So um, I think that for that reason, well, those two reasons, and now a third reason I think CeCe's on the roster is because in case a pitcher gets into trouble, CeCe is a guy that can eat up at least two innings, probably three, having been a starting pitcher before. Um, and I know it's not the same mentality. Pitchers will tell you that. But if he is feeling as good as everybody's saying that he's feeling with his knee and his shoulder, um, I think it was a good move. I, I, I'm critical sometimes of CC Zabathia, you know, the legacy pick. But this time around, I think this was a good move. Stuart in Brooklyn, you're on the fan. Good morning, Danielle. Pleasure talking to you as always. How are you? Um, I think it was a good move, but uh, you know, you don't know what you don't know what the condition of his knee is or his or his shoulder. And the thing is. I like the way that he handled Tanaka. You save his arm. You get him ready for the next start. And uh, the bullpen, well, you, you say, why do you bring Adovino and Britton in and uh, Luizzi? you got to give the bullpen some work. They haven't pitched in how many days? They yeah. haven't pitched. I just don't like showing showing the card. I mean, then why do you go Adovino, Britton? Those are arguably the two best. Why don't you go... Uh, Green, for example, or somebody else, or like, Sessa, or Sessa, or somebody else. That's right? Somebody yeah. lesser, or, you know. You, you have to give them. You have to, like I said, you have to give them some work. I mean, yeah, you know, what they pitch one inning each, so yes. yep. yeah, they'll be ready for today if need be. And uh, they, they look, they, they, they won the game seven nothing, 
and you can criticize certain things for what they did, but, uh, you know, it basically was good all-around effort, and I think you, if the Yankees do win the World Series, I think you're right. Torres will be the MVP. I do agree with that. I mean, this what he's doing at 22 years old is, like, is historic. I mean, he's putting up historic numbers, and we we might not ever... we we. It's like he's incredible. The kid doesn't lose his composure when he's at the plate or in the field, for that matter. Yeah, he's just relax, calm, relaxed. Doesn't let the game get ahead of him, and he reminds me a little bit of uh, like Derek Jeter. Jeter never let the game get too fast for him. Yeah, and Stewart, thanks for the call. Um, as a coach, um, first of all, as a player, there's a feeling you get in the batter's box in a, in a, in a tight moment. And I play, I played varsity uh, softball as a freshman and I was a starting shortstop. And uh, I remember one of my first games, I was always a pull hitter and the pitch came and it was the outside third of the plate and the winning run was on, on third base. And I was a freshman. There were no sophomores on the team. There were, there were three juniors and like eight seniors on my own team. And the moment, in that moment, in that batter's box, you just you just have to slow your breathing. You just have to just focus and visualize on, on what you want to do with the ball. And I don't know, it, it worked. I visualized the ball going into right field. I got that outside pitch, and I, I still see it. it. Like The first baseman jumped up in the air, and the ball went right over her glove. And the run scored, and that was, I think, I think it might have been my first game as a varsity player, and I got mobbed at the plate. Um, and it's just a feeling. It's just a feeling in that batter's box, a calmness that comes over you. And as a coach, I try to, to preach that to my, my players. I tell them to, um, my line is, uh, uh, relax your neck. Like your collarbones, if you focus on really relaxing that part and you're not tense in, in your shoulders and coming up to, to bat, it's a hit. It's going to be a good hit. And I, one of my players did that, and she got to third base, and she goes, oh, my God, it works. I'm like, I know. I told you that. Tom in North Brunswick, you're on the fan. Um, uh, good morning, Daniel. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm all right. Um, <clears throat> since I'm a Mets fan, I don't want to have a talk about the American League Championship Series. Okay. You know, I mean, I, I respect the Yankees, but uh, there's a team flying under the radar, and, you know, I'm, I'm not particularly happy about it, but it's the Nationals. Yep. You know, remember when the Nationals were nineteen and thirty-one in May uh, at the end of May, and they and they on their last one hundred and twelve games they went seventy-four and thirty-eight, and if you count the playoffs, I think they're six and two, so that means that they're eighty and forty since then. Mm-hmm. Now I know you know that you know they don't have they're not as good as the Astros and Yankees, but I tell you that kind of stretch without talking about the players and is is just as good actually. That's, I think their record is second best ever since then. Yeah, so what I'm trying to say is they're a very dangerous team, and this idea that the winner of the Houston-New York Yankees series is going to just blow away the uh, – they may do it to the Cardinals, but I don't think they'll do it to the Nationals. What do you think? Yeah, thanks for your call, Tom. Um, I think that the two pitchers that, that are at the top of the Nationals' rotation in Strasburg and Scherzer are certainly something that – you know, you can't reckon with that. They're two great pitchers, Cy Young candidates, or one of them at least, in, in Strasburg. Um, 
and Rendon. I mean, that guy can can hit the ball. I, we're, I'm watching the highlights right now. They're playing on the TV, and they're making some great defensive plays. And a team like that, it's a streaky team. And there's two sides to that. You know, do they continue that breakneck pace? I mean, Max Scherzer tonight, seven innings pitched in the win. Adam Adam Wainwright, he was the loser, and he pitched seven and, and a third of innings. I mean, come on. I think the Nationals are sneaky good, but I don't think they're they're good enough to beat either the Yankees or the Houston Astros. Um, I I just don't think so. I, I don't see it. And the other side to that, like I was saying, is the luck going to run out? And I'm Danielle McCartan back with you in on the fan. 101.9660 AM coming to you from the Mike Francesa studio in lower Manhattan on the eve of a Yankees domination win in game one of the ALCS. And and one other point I wanted to make about that game, how about the defense that was on display? The defense for both teams. I mean, the best play that I saw out of the Astros was in the third inning. Alex Bregman absolutely robbed Gio Urshela of a line drive down the left field line. Beautiful play. Probably was a double. And and from at that point in time, my worry as an experienced coach and as a player, after a great defensive play like that gets the stadium going, momentum carries over into the batter's box and, and typically. And um, it didn't. Although Tucker in line to right field, the base hit, it was the first hit of the night for Houston and with a single with one out. And it just it just didn't work from there because Chirinos ground into a five a, a five four three double play right after that, and then the, obviously the other play was Aaron Judge going into the right field center field gap, covered some intense ground, reached across his body, and th- caught the ball first, planted his foot, pushed off, and threw out Bregman retreating on a tag back up to first base double play. 88-mile-an-hour throw from your right fielder, New York Yankees fans. Those were the two defensive standouts in the game. Richard, in Manhattan, you're on the fan. Danielle, the defense wasn't perfect, and what scared me was I think the bottom line, of the six. Yep, when, the, uh, the one that went up the middle. Between. That's right, Didi and Glaybaugh did not get together, yep. and the crowd is going wild. Yep. That's when the Yankees made the play of the game with the double play. Yep. The, the, the scoop by LeMay, he was first, yep. and he ran off the big, even though they called him safe, and he knew he was out. Yep. And he, on TV, they said right away, he's challenging, and they saw it. They didn't even have to question it. He was out. Yep. That was the, you can turn off the TV after that. When they overcame that, I uh, because I was so worried after that, and their def- that's, that's, to me, the biggest difference between this team and two years ago. The defense is better. Houston took advantage of the Yankees' defense 2017. I don't think they can take advantage this year. Their pitching is great, so if we just leave it at the pitching, we'll match their pitching, get to their bullpen, we'll be okay. But if our defense is as good as they played last night, minus that one play up the middle, we'll be fine. Yeah. Thank you, Danielle. Yeah, anytime. I agree totally with you. Uh, that miscommunication, I guarantee you that will not happen again. They figured it out right away. And although it wasn't perfect, you're right, that ended up not hurting them. Because like you said, the next play was a, uh, a ground out double play. And you know, it is football Sunday. And I did want to touch on some Jets and Giants before my uh, my very special guest, Jim Lehrer, it's at 440. Um, and, I, and I want to, I don't have anything to give you. This isn't like an official contest or anything, but 
I have a little trivia for you, maybe a little McCartan trivia. This NFL now. Since the merger, only one team out of the 183 eligible teams has started 0-4 and and made the playoffs. Who was it? Which team started 0-4 and made the playoffs? Tweet me at Coach MCCARTAM with the right answer. Like I said, I have nothing to give you. But I can retweet you and maybe shout out your Twitter handle on air. And the Jets, you know, there might be a bright spot. Um, through week six, the Jets are the only team in the league to record a safety, a pick six, and recover a fumble for a touchdown. And additionally, the Jets have four interceptions and two forced fumbles contributed from six different players. And the Jets have the 12th overall ranked defense in the league in terms of yards per game. But they also rank 24th in points given up per game. The rest, I'm not sure. I don't really know. And did you guys know that Christian McCaffrey, I almost fell off my chair today. Christian McCaffrey has more total yards than the entire Jets offense. McCaffrey has 866 total yards from scrimmage. Jets offense, 718. Maybe that's a little unfair because the Panthers played one more game than the Jets, but that's still a difference of 148 yards. That's significant. Hey, look at this. Joe Saponara, he was the first. The 1992 Chargers. You're right, Joe, at football and hoops. The 92 Chargers were the only team since the merger to start 0-4 and make the playoffs. Good job. I have nothing to give you, but there you go, Joe. Um, and uh, it's still a difference of 148 yards, which is totally significant. And, and here's another thing, a head-scratcher moment. Yesterday, around 12 p.m., Saturday, Luke Falk goes from the starting quarterback of the Jets to the waiver wire. The Jets waved him. Now, David Fales is going to back up Sam Darnold. And this week, this just boggles my mind, this week, Adam Gase did not rule out the possibility of adding a more experienced QB2 at some point. Um, Why not go and get a more experienced QB2 at the same night as a Simeon injury? Why not get on your phone right then and there? What? Why now? Jets versus Eagles takeaways? Well, the Jets lost 31-6. Nate Jerry had a pick six for the Eagles. Orlando Skandrick had a strip sack touchdown for the Eagles. Grand total of four defensive and special teams touchdowns in the game. And here's another head-scratching moment that's been much talked about, but I want to put my spin on it. Adam Gase let Sam Darnold take all of the first-team reps in practice instead of working Luke Falk into the mix. What? The Jets entered Sunday totally unprepared on offense. Adam Gase's play calling, atrocious. Then, guess what? So Falk gets second-team reps all week. Practices with the Eagles defense in film only. And David, David, is that his name? David fails. He gets into the game. He didn't take one practice snap at all, and he ends up getting in the game. Now the offensive line, oh, my God, we already talked about it. They allowed 10 sacks and in, in 16 quarterback hits. And that big shakeup on the offensive line that Gase promised, I told you guys last week, I predicted it would not be a shakeup at all. I told you Chuma Adoga was going to get the start at right tackle. I told you that. He gave up two sacks and four quarterback pressures. 
Boo. His NFL draft grade, like I told you guys last week, was a 5.65 chance to become an NFL starter. Former teammate of Sam Darnold at USC. And um, all you need to know is that his NFL comparison is Kelvin Beecham. Yikes. And I'm not counting the start that Alex Lewis had in place of the the, uh, injured Kalecio Simile. That's not a shakeup. That's just a player playing for an injured player. But of note, the Jets scored their first offensive touchdown since week one. But also, they have 13 three-and-outs this season. League leading. The defense was okay. Limited Carson Wentz to 108 passing yards. Philadelphia's rushing attack to only 36 yards in the first half. Neville, uh, Neville Hewitt, 10 tackles against the Eagles. Not bad. Leonard Williams, fifth-year option, $14.5 million he's making. Fourth consecutive sackless game, one tackle. Henry Anderson, Jets just re-signed him for three years, $25.2 million, sackless. And uh, the Adam Gase press conference after that game, my God, are you ready for this one? Was the team adequately prepared? Yeah, we were ready to go. We had a good week at practice. He shrugs. Defense played well. Special teams played well. We just didn't play very well on offense. They asked, why didn't you give Falk more practice reps? He had a lot of reps the past past few weeks. You know, he did plenty this week to be ready for the game. Uh, I don't think that it, it was really the reason that we had an issue. But he only had one career start. I gotcha. I know. It's just that's what we thought was the best thing to do. I think a little bit was who we were playing too, maybe. Is this guy kidding me? This defensive unit for the Eagles came into the game with three sacks. What is he talking about? The Jets give up uh, 25.2 points per game. 25th in the league. The Giants are 24. They're worse than them. Jets third down percentage per game, 16th in the league. They can't get off the field. But then Gay says, we're not doing anything right right now. We're playing bad. Well, Adam Gase, like, which is it? Because now you got Sam Darnold cleared to start versus the Cowboys, and, and he's got uh, to work with the third most expensive offensive line in the NFL. That, uh, no wonder why they can't convert on third down. They convert on third down 21.95% of the time. Literally the worst in the league. The offensive line's run-blocking ability, last. Pass protection, last. Are you kidding me? Three reasons why Adam Gase needs to go. Number one, oh, you guys say, but Adam Gase is a quarterback whisperer. Oh, yeah? Well, I look back at his case with uh, the offensive coordinator of the Bears. lasted one year. Head coach of the Dolphins for three years I looked at. His career highest rank of total offense, 21st. Jets this year, last. Literally worse than the the Dolphins, the Jets. His career highest rank of passing yards per game, 18th. This year, last. Career highest rank of rushing yards per game, 9th. This year, 30th with Le'Veon Bell. I don't want to hear any more excuses for him. Bell ran 60 yards with, with Darnold. 49 without him, average. Total underutilization of one of the top three backs in the NFL. Let's get a little more creative, and I'm not talking the Wildcat. Remind me, again, why the Jets picked him over Super, winning quarter, Super Bowl winning quarterback Mike McCarthy. You know, there's always three t- sides to every story. Excuse number two. 
Oh, but Gase hadn't had Gase hasn't had Darnold. Oh yeah, well with Darnold, people point to that Bills game. The only game Gase and Darnold were together. Jets lost. And the only touchdown in that game was on a nine yard pass from Darnold to Bell. And then again from the two point conversion. Six points for a pick six for Mosley. Point after attempt failed. Two points for a safety. The the defense accounted for half of the points in that game. Excuse number three. Oh, but the come on, the Bills have a really good defense. They're a good team. Oh yeah, they were. They are a good team. The third best defense in the NFL is a week six. They are good. Tough. Guess what? You played them twice a season, and the Patriots number one de- ranked defense twice a season. The Jets will never win the division with four combined losses to New England Buffalo. Adam Gase, bro, you got to figure something out, you quarterback whisperer, you offensive guru, you. Maybe the Jet, maybe here's it. I got it. Maybe Adam Gase can figure out a way to get the Jets transferred out of the AFC East. Then they can keep him. And his explanation for the atrocious start: there are some things that we need have to clean up from the coaching aspect. There are some things that we got to clean up from a play caller's perspective. I think that really going forward, what we need to do is take what we're practicing and the way we're practicing and the speed we're practicing at and transfer it over to Sundays, which we haven't done yet. Are you kidding me? That falls on you, bro. You're the coach and the play caller. I still cannot believe the Jets passed on Mike McCarthy for this clown. The Jets are floundering. The only Jets team to start a season in 0-5 was in 1996. They were 0-8 and finished 1-15. Rich Kotite resigned after a second season of miserable football. Is that where these Jets are going? With the premier running back, two first-round draft picks on the defensive line, and the quarterback of the future on the roster? Look at the NFL Week 6 power rankings. You got to scroll all the way to the bottom to get to number 30 to find the Jets. The only teams ranked below them are the Dolphins and Redskins in that order. If the season ended today, the Jets would have the fifth overall pick in the draft. Is that what what Jets fans want? The fifth overall pick in the draft? I also looked at their remaining schedule, and we could talk about that. We don't hate it here. We could talk about that after the break. Coming up. I have a, a very interesting conversation that was pre-recorded because, you know, it's 4.40 in the morning. Um, but I talked with Jim Laritz, World Series winning catcher for the New York Yankees. And he uh, we just talked about game one, previewed game two. He gave his thoughts on former teammate Joe Girardi's fit with the Mets managerial position. I asked him that. And uh, a very special story he ends off with. So that's coming up next. Hope you enjoy it. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Now we're joined by a World Series champion right here in New York, Jim Laritz, who I've gotten to know very well out, out of all of the Mint Pros events we've done together. Jim, thanks for joining us, and how are you feeling after this New York Yankees Game 1 win? Well, I tell you, you got to be pretty confident. Those guys look pretty good tonight. and You know, Masasiro Tanaka showed why, he, you know, everybody talked about during the season he was a little shaky, but everyone always said, wait till the postseason. He, that's where he really steps it up in the big games, and he sure did tonight. Jim, do you think uh, Tanaka should have been allowed to start the eighth inning? I mean, he hadn't had much uh, contact hit against him. He, he had a one-hitter, and then due up was Springer, who was 0-for-2 with a strikeout, Brantley 0-for-2, and Altuve 0-for-2 with a strikeout. Well, I would say normally, yeah, if it was during a regular season game, but knowing the long haul that they have, planning on going to the World Series and things like that, if you can have that big of a lead and be able to, you know, to, to, to take him out in that particular situation, I think that that's a good move. That way, because he's looking further down the line. And again, you know, tomorrow's an off, or uh, the next day after tomorrow is an off day. So, 
you you want to get some guys some work that you normally wouldn't get in certain situations. So I thought it was a good I thought it was a good move. But at see, my concern is at sixty three pitches only tonight. I think he had finished with like, right. That's not a lot of a workload. Like once his next time out, you know, is that going to affect it in a negative way? Having only pitched uh, sixty three. No, I don't. I don't think at this time of year it 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 really has that much effect. These guys, like I said, these guys have pitched a long season. Uh, Any time that you you can get out there and compete at the level that they're competing at during these playoffs, even though it's only sixty three pitches, it doesn't sound like much. But that's you know, I was funny. I was watching the game tonight with with one of my stepdaughters, and she said to me, "Man, that guy looks really serious." <laughs> and I'm like, "Yeah, that's this is the postseason. This is you know, and it takes a lot out of you mentally." also in these big situations so like i said i think you know the way the yankees are thinking is that they're planning on going to the world series and winning a world series i thought it was a pretty good move now if there was one player one single player's performance that you think contributed most significantly to tonight's win whose would it be tanaka's or no well, you got to look at it offensively and defensively. You know, defensively, yes, Tanaka's pitching was unbelievable. Uh, Aaron Judge made a great defensive play out in the outfield. I mean, you know, if you look at both sides of, of the game, defense and offense, Tanaka on the, on the defensive side, but obviously Claybert Torres on the offensive side it was just amazing again tonight. Now you're talking about when Judge, it was like, it was like a line drive. He went a reach across his body, made the catch, and then snuffed out any semblance of a rally by throwing Bregman out at first. I thought that was incredible, that play. Yeah, that was that was a huge play. And, you know, the one thing that they were talking about that, you know, a lot of people miss is that this guy's a six foot eight outfielder. And he makes that kind of a play and has the ability to turn around and get it back in as quick as he did and as accurate. And, uh, yeah, just like I said, just that to me was one of the turning points of the game. Yeah, that, and because it had just killed any momentum that they had. Bregman, they're chanting MVP as he steps to the bat. He gets he gets a double up at first base. At, was it the end of the inning, too, I think, right? Exactly, yep. 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 And I, I had texted you during the game. I, does Does Gary Sanchez, in his movement behind the plate, up, down, left, right, as a catcher yourself or a former catcher, does that give the batter any sort of clue where the ball will be going to? No, I think he's actually doing it more to try to confuse the hitter. Um, in all honesty, myself, I don't think I think it's too much. I think it would throw off the pitcher more than it would throw off the hitter, um, just because you know, as a pitcher's trying to concentrate on the catcher's target. Um, but I think honestly, he was trying to do it more to kind of confuse the hitters uh, to where he was going to finally set up with his location. Now, a roster move that Aaron Boone had made was um, Stan, uh, at later in the game. Stanton came out, Cameron Mabin went in. But I had a question on my mind, and maybe you can answer it, having been there, you know, in the in the playoffs. Why not put Hicks in? They're up 5 nothing in the eighth. The guy's fresh off the I.L., and it, I thought it might have been a good ex- opportunity to give him a good look at game pitching for maybe a low-stress situation. Yeah, I mean, that, that that's another way of thinking about it. Um Again, I, I don't know the situation with Hicks as far as is this guy a hundred percent, you know, is, is or you know, is is he going to be is is Aaron thinking that he's sitting on the bench for you know six or seven innings and he's tightening up or that this is not a good idea to bring him in that maybe it's better off bringing him in from the start of the game where he's loose and ready to go. Uh, like I said, I, I don't know the extent of his injury and what it takes for him to prepare to go into a game. That might have had a little bit to do with it, also. Jim, we're talking with Jim Laird here on WFAN. Um, hey, I got to ask you, as a player now, 
What's the feeling inside that Yankees clubhouse after a 7-0 victory, game one, versus a team that's like so heavily to not only to go to the World Series, but win it? Well, it's huge. I mean, you're facing Verlander and... and uh, Cole, yeah, Garrett Cole, the next two games. Uh, to steal this first game is huge. And I think it's it's one of those things now, you know, the first two games are in Houston. You say, if we get out of here with a 1-1 split, that's great. But now if you win that first game, all that pressure's off. And now you can go out tomorrow night and you're facing Verlander, who's always been tough on you. But you can go out there with a whole different type of attitude that not if, oh, God, if we lose this game, we're down 0-2. Now it's, you know what, let's go out and just try to beat this guy. And worst-case scenario, we go home 1-1. Uh, that's what we're looking for. And uh, I think that, like I said, you know, Aaron, uh, Aaron Judge was interviewed after the game tonight, and that's the first thing he said was, it's huge to get this game won, especially when you're playing on the road. See, I think that Aaron Boone kind of stacked the deck that way in a way because Tanaka obviously is their best postseason pitcher. And on the flip side, for the Astros, Granke is like their third best pitcher. I know it has to do with days off and everything, but, you know, he could have, Aaron Boone could have pitched Paxton versus Granke tonight, but he went with Tanaka and he went for the jugular right from game one. Yeah, I think that was, like I said, that's, I'm pretty sure once this series is over, they, and that somebody asked Aaron, what was that? What was your thinking about that? I think that's exactly what he would say is, I knew how important the game one was going to be, and I know that Tanaka is a big game pitcher. And uh, I thought, you know, that that was that was the best matchup that we could have, and uh, it ter- turned out to be a good decision. Now, on the flip side of of that question, what is it like inside the Astros locker room now or clubhouse now? Down 0-1, lost, basically unbeatable at home. You lost to the Yankees at home. What's the message there? Well, I think it goes back to one game at a time. You know, tomorrow they know they ha- they have to come out and try to get you know, get this game uh, and and win. They don't want to go to New York down two nothing. Um, you know, and, and I don't think and I, I can't remember exactly what they were talking about, but I don't think this team has lost two games at home all year. And if that's the case, for the Yankees to beat them tomorrow. I don't know how far the series would go once you get back to New York. So, I think they're feeling like you know what we got. You know, we got our best pitcher on the mound, and Verlander, our second best. How you want to look at it, but one of our best pitchers on the mound, and uh, we feel pretty confident going in that you know uh, we're facing Paxton, who has a chance to give up some hits and some home runs. And you know, I, I think I think they feel pretty good, and it's just a matter of like I said, going one day at a time. Jimmy, if you're still on the team as a Yankee hitter. What are you expecting from Verlander tomorrow in terms of his, you know, stuff with quotes around it? Well, I think the good thing is that, you know, it's not going to be anything surprising. He's going to come after him. Uh, if his breaking ball is working, uh, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. Uh, you know, he is, he is one of those big game pitchers, but he also has a tendency to give up the long ball. And the way the Yankees are swinging the bat today, uh, you've got to feel pretty good going, someone's going to get him. Someone's going to step into a fastball that he leads over the plate. Uh, because, like I said, the Yankees are swinging the bats you know, that well. And it, I'm trying to I'm trying to look, but didn't the the Tampa Bay Rays get to him? And and how did they do it? Well, you know, again, he didn't want to blame it on three days rest. Um, but you know, you saw that his breaking ball wasn't sharp, and he couldn't throw his slider. I mean, it was one of those outings that whether or not it was not the three days rest or whether he just didn't have his good stuff that day. That Tampa Bay took advantage of it, and I think that's you know you look at that and you go, okay, he's coming back now on regular rest. He's got to feel more confident. 
Um, and I think, like I said, you're going you're gonna to see a tough pitcher out there tomorrow, and it's whether or not the Yankees can you know, swing the bats as consistently as they swing the bats tonight. Now, if you're catching Paxton tomorrow as a Yankee, you're catching him, what is your game plan? What is the scouting report to attack the Astros hitters in game two? Well, I think if you know you see tonight, especially against right hitter, the pitchers, he's got to work the outer half of the plate. He's got to make sure that you know he can he can hit that outside corner to be able to open up the inside. If he doesn't, and these guys can you know be be sitting all day uh, on, the, on the ball in or the ball middle in, uh, he's going to have some trouble. So I think that's to me that's the most important thing that he needs to establish tomorrow: the outside half of the plate against the right handed hitters. Now, Aaron Boone uh, switched. Uh, Gleyber Torres, he was batting sixth in the ALDS. Now he's batting third, and you saw what the per- the performance he put on tonight. I think he was my player of the game, um, all, all you know, all over. But what is that? What's the mentality of that? Like you're batting sixth, and all of a sudden, the manager comes to you and says, "You know what? I want you at batting third this series." Yeah, I mean, he looks like a genius right now. Uh, and after the performance tonight, there's no way he's moving him out of that spot until he until he goes over for four. That doesn't have a good day in there, but. Um, I just think that, you know, like they were talking about all night tonight, this guy, this has been one of the guys besides DJ who has carried this team, who has been one of the few guys that you know, wasn't injured and, and during when these injuries occurred, stepped up as a 22-year-old kid uh, and just did some pretty amazing things. I think, you know, Aaron called him in and said, listen, you know, I'm putting you in the three spot because these are the playoffs and I expect you to do what you've been doing all year. I have confidence in you, and it paid off tonight. And uh, just an extra question here, um, but you want a World Series with him. How do you think Joe Girardi would be uh, as a fit for the Mets managerial opening? I think it'd be great. I'm hoping that if he needs a coach, that he'll call me. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things that I think stepping into that Mets job right now is a good opportunity. They've got a good young mix of players, um, but they do need they do need someone there that has the experience of New York, uh, knows how to deal with the media of New York. And, uh, you know, Mickey Callaway was good, but there was a lot of things that I had heard through the grapevines, through the media, how he wasn't able to handle the criticism from the media and some of the other things that were going on. And you really need somebody when they come into New York that's familiar. And I think Girardi would be a great choice. Um, I will say that if he is even offered the Chicago job, he's going to Chicago. He's been dying for that job forever. Um, but at the same time, I think you know, New York would be uh, an opportunity for him, and I think he would do a good job there. But the biggest knock on him, and you mentioned it, the young players, the biggest knock on him through the media, I don't know where this rumor kind of started, but has been that he can't relate to younger players. C- could you talk on that in any way? You know, that's interesting. It, it, it all depends on the player. You know, I've, I've heard that before. You know, there was that. You know, I've, I've played for managers that I was told that didn't know how to sp- talk to younger players and things like that. And I thought it most of the time it was the individual. It was a personal thing that maybe one player or two players on that particular team didn't. But there were three or four other guys that he worked with very well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it, the situation with the Yankees. I think it was more the uh, Sanchez relationship. And that was the one that kind of soured. And uh, other than that, I think, you know, he, he got along with most of the guys on that ball club. And I know we really would be a little bit projecting here, but maybe not. But if the Yankees make it to the Game 2 of the World Series, 
that would be the anniversary of a very particular home run, and you endeared yourself to the Yankees fans with one swing of the bat. Could you talk about how, you know, just the feeling you get watching the Yankees in October and how that relates back to your career? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, every October I get excited. It's one of those things that, you know, I remember Bob Passa saying in 1999 when I hit the last home run of the century, saying, you can send this guy to a resort in the spring and summer, just bring him back for October. Um but yeah, I mean, I'm excited, especially if the Yankees make the World Series. You know, if they make the World Series in Game Two, I would hope that you know to get the Yankee fans going, to get it like to really pump up that stadium, that they might call me up and say, "Jim, we want you to throw out the first pitch." That would be really cool, um, you know. And, and again, I think that would be something that would just get that stadium rocking and and a great opportunity to uh, to relive you know that that moment again, or maybe catch the first pitch. And my favorite story that you've ever told me is the story about the ticker tape parade. And I'll leave it to you because my listeners, they deserve to hear their story. It's one of my favorites. Tell them. Well, yeah, it's the, uh, it's the only time Derek Jeter has ever taken the four train anywhere <laughs> in his life. Um, you know, Derek and I lived in the same block in New York. And uh, we were been out all night partying and having a great time. And we had to wake up for the parade the next day. He woke up a little bit late, and he met my wife and I and my two-year-old, and we were, you know, he's like, well, how are we going? I go, well, we're taking the subway. He's like, no way, man. I've never taken the subway. <laughs> and and we saw a police officer on the street. We said, can you get us an escort down there? He goes, Jimmy, I know who you guys are, but there is no way that we're going to get you down there in time. You need to go on the subway. And I looked at Derek, and I said, let's do it. And so we did it. We got on. And that was before the cell phones and before all the other craziness. But everybody had a camera. They were taking pictures. It was fun. They didn't bother us crazy bother, but it was a fun time. And, and I remember Derek getting off going, man, that was actually really fun. <laughs> and I said, I know, Jeet, I take the four train every day. That's I, I, it, It's part about being a New Yorker, part about being part of the, the community. And 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 really experiencing New York to its fullest, and uh, yeah, he it, it was it was a great story because he even tells it too that it was the only time he ever took a subway in New York, and you made it on time, and we made it to the parade on time. Yes. <laughs> All right, Jim Laritz, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on this late after Game One, before Game Two. You got some great insight, and let's go Yankees. Great talking to you, Dan. Hey, good morning, New York sports fans. We are marching towards 6 a.m. That is when I sign off for the morning on this football Sunday, on this ALCS Sunday, here in New York City, in lower Manhattan, from the Mike Francesa studio. I'm Daniel McCartan, with you till 6 a.m. And uh, I posted the uh, poll on Twitter. I told you guys to go and vote at CoachMCCARTAN, and it has closed my question was, who wins Game 2 of the ALCS? Very close. Paxton and the Yankees did get 52% of the vote. Astros and Verlander earned 48% of the vote. So there you have it, Yankee fans. Anybody that follows those hashtags, one, five of them that I put up there, believe that the New York Yankees are going to take Game 2 in the ALCS. And game one, the Houston Astros came out absolutely flat in front of almost 44,000 people at Minute Maid Park just a few hours ago. The hush over the crowd, you can credit that to two 
Game one stands out for the New York Yankees. Masahiro Tanaka and Glaber Torres. And Masahiro Tanaka said through a translator at the opening press conference, he said, you need to be better than the opponent. When it comes down to the individual, being able to execute and be able to do his job. Tonight, Tanaka was the better individual. Finished with six-inning pitch, as you've heard from Marco all night. One hit, one walk, four Ks. His postseason ERA, including that win, is a 1.32. Historic, really. Zach Greinke also pitched six innings, but he he relinquished seven hits, three runs, all earned, six Ks. But the big thing were the two long balls he gave up. And the Yankees were in an absolute win now to take game one from those Astros on the home field in Houston. And why? Because the next two pitchers are going to face our ace, Justin Verlander, and more than double the ace, <laughs> Garrett Cole. And that's why probably Aaron Boone lined up Tanaka, and Jimmy Laird, as you just heard, agreed with that. That's why he lined up Tanaka, his best postseason pitcher, against Granke, the third best pitcher on the Astros. Why didn't he line up Paxton for the start? Because he knew there was a chance that Paxton-led Yankees could succumb to Granke-led Astros. And to go down 0-1 with Verlander on the bump the next day, he obviously did not want to take the chance. Instead, he he opted for ice flows in his veins, Masahiro Tanaka, who became the hero, Masahiro, of Game 1 for the Yankees. Um, Some controversy, should you have let him start the seventh inning or not? For me, I think I would have. I mean, there were really no hard-hit balls up until this point. He had only given up one hit. I think it was like, what, 63, 65, 68 pitches in total. He had a 5 nothing lead. Defense was playing outstanding. And the three hitters do up. Two of them struck out. And none of them got a hit. What's there not to like about that? I think that um, it the first sign of trouble he should have been yanked. But let him get back out there. And a caller brought up a great point. I think one of the first callers of the night, he said, why would you show your basically? Why would you show your hand in Anavino and Britain? Why would you do that if you don't need to? Well, I agree. But then I looked up online and and saw that ten of Masahiro Tanaka's twenty eight regular season home runs, ten of them, tw- he gave up twenty eight home runs in the regular season. Ten of them came the third time around the order. So I guess uh, Aaron Boone was not taking any chances with that. And um, CC and Hicks on the roster, they replaced Voight and, and Wade. Those two were non-factors in the postseason, so I'm okay with that. Um, and Hicks and CC could see some significant time, so I'm okay with that. Um, and Glaber Torres, man, does anything phase him at the plate? Really. Batting third now, he was 3-for-5 tonight, 5 RBIs, 7 total bases, and a homer. He's figured out that clutch hitting thing, hasn't he? And now the Yankees are set to take on Verlander. And, you know, he's not indestructible, but Garrett Cole is. So the Yankees might have to try and steal another one down in Houston, send the series back to New York. And just so you know, MLB Stats tweeted this earlier. In all series with this current format, two home, three away, two home, those teams that win the first two games on the road, which is the Yankees, if they win the first two games on the road, 
those teams have gone on to win the series 88% of the time. So this is important. And the Yankees' numbers are not the best against Verlander. Look for LeMahieu and Gregorius to have a breakout game. And on the other side of town, New York Mets, um, the song I had lined up for them um, earlier was, Who Are You? Because who is going to be the Mets' manager? They've lined up a few guys for in-person in interviews. Uh, Carlos Beltran went on Friday. He was already interviewed in person. Heyman says he's a real, very serious candidate for the job. Then you got Luis Rojas, Derek Shelton, Mike Bell, and Joe Girardi. They're, side, they're uh, lined up for this week to have in-person in interviews. Though John Gibbons, Dusty Baker, and Buck Showalter have been discussed internally but not contacted to this point. As far as I'm concerned, it's still Joe Girardi or bust for the Amazons. And the longer this drags out, the longer this search takes, the worse it is for the Mets. Girardi could choose to go home to Chicago, and that would be the worst-case scenario for the New York Mets. They need to extend the offer ASAP. Stop the games. Mike in New Jersey, you've been hanging on for a while. What do you got? Mike, you there? Yeah, hi. I'm, I'm, uh, yes. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, Lori, i got to tell you. You're a breath of fresh air. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I mean, at night, I'm a little over screaming and yelling all night long. <laughs> oh, I can't. It's, I miss Tony so much, and to have you on, it's wonderful. I appreciate uh, it. Lori, as far as Girardi, please bring him here. Bring him here because we need him. You need some stability. You need a guy who knows how to work the city. I really, really mean that. And if we can't, if he goes go to Chicago, my second choice is Buck Walter. I really, we need that. You know, you got a good team. The foundation is there. Just go for it. But for me, the ownership doesn't spend. They don't spend money wisely. You know. Yeah, and that's evident. And and thanks for the call, Mike. I appreciate that. I agree with you. It's it's Joe Girardi or bust. Somebody with experience. Buck Walter, I'm a little reserved about. Um, but I guess he would be my number two as well. Um, and the Mets, as far as the Mets not spending any money, I mean, yeah, that's the story, right? But you said the key word, wisely. And when you look at the money they gave Robinson Cano, that that contract is going to haunt the Mets for a long time. Many years to come is the Robinson Cano contract. Because what happens is now you have um, Jeff McNeil who could who could play at the MLB level, I mean, he's one of the best hitters on the Mets team, most consistent guys, and his primary position is second base, although he can play many positions. His best position is second base. And now you've created a log jam at second base. Who do you play, the young guy that can uh, that can get the job done or the older guy who's, you know, he, he was hurt. Cano got hurt last season, and he, I, I would think, if you're the Mets, since you're paying him, you got to start him at second base, and maybe that's not the worst thing because because Frazier, I mean um, Frazier is going to be gone. His, I mean, I think I'm I'm thinking his nine million dollars will be off the books. You slide McNeil over to third base, who's he's okay at third base too defensively, and there's your there's your infield Rosario at short and Alonso at first. So it might not be the worst thing. It's just Cano's got to stay healthy and uh, and we'll see we'll see what happens with with that. Uh, hey, more Jets, Giants. It is a football Sunday, although the Giants already played. Um, I got more Jets stuff for you guys, too. Of course, if you wanted to talk Mets, Yankees, all that after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan. After midnight on The Fan. 
And I'm Danielle McCartan, back with you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. Hey, um, I was in ShopRite today, and uh, there was really no food in the house. But I'm in ShopRite. I'm wearing a Yankees cap. And I'm in the ice cream aisle, and some guy says to me, Hey, uh, what did he say to me? Hey, uh, nice hat you got on there, something like that. And I was like, Unless you're a fan of one of the other three teams remaining in in the playoffs, you really have nothing to say. He looked at me and he said, "I'm a White Sox fan." I like I laughed in his face, <laughs> uh, but also laughable are the New York Jets. And oh, I got some calls on the on the phone, here, but the, the New York Jets. I mean, they are just they they're just bad. I mean, if like I said just a few minutes ago. If the season were to end today, the Jets hold the fifth overall pick in the NFL draft. Then I looked at their remaining schedule. They play Miami twice, who's who's right now worse than them. They play Washington once, who is right now worse than them. They play Cincinnati, who is worse than them. And they play the um, the Pittsburgh Steelers, right, who are in shambles. So... Of the remaining games, one, two, three, four, five that I just told you are probably winnable games. Maybe not Pittsburgh, but definitely, well, uh, there's nothing definite in Jets' world. But here's my fear. My fear is that the Jets are going to end up either 4-12 and or 5-11. and And miraculously, at 0-4, they still have four teams that are theoretically worse than they are. But with a mediocre sort of record like that, that I think, unfortunately, is going to buy Adam Gase another year at the helm. And another wasted year with a non-elite, middle-of-the-road draft pick. And from the NFL's own website, NFL.com, says, I quote this, This is all a terrible look for Adam Gase, who can't put all of New York's titanic struggles on Darnold's absence. This team will have to show significant improvement down the stretch to ensure Gase gets a second year on the sideline. Yes, it's been that bad. End quote. So with that being said, I looked at some, real quick, five keys to the Jets to maybe beat the Cowboys tomorrow or later today. I mean, Le'Veon Bell. A week ago, Packers running back Aaron Jones torched the Cowboys for 182 yards and four rushing touchdowns. I know that because I had him on my, my free league, my free fantasy team. So maybe Le'Veon Bell could do the same. Here's something that's interesting. Time of possession battle. In both games that the Cowboys lost this season... The opposing offense, opposing offense has held a 14-minute time of possession advantage over the over the Cowboys. The Jets aren't great at building long drives, and they're the worst in the league on third down. They rank 30, 31st in plays run and 32nd in yards per play. But the return of Darnold may improve those numbers. And because in week one, the Jets ran 10 more plays than they averaged without him. Eh, but it's, it's going to be tough. Like I said, the Jets rank last in third down efficiency. How about the uh, the offensive line? The good news for them is that the Cowboys only blitz on 17.6% of dropbacks. Bad news is Dallas still ranks fourth in quarterback hits. Number four key to the Jets may be winning this game. Yards after catch. Because the Dallas secondary is elite, especially come, when it comes down to throwing the ball downfield. They've allowed the 10th fewest passing yards and the 8th fewest air yards in the whole entire league. And my favorite one is this. This is the main key for me, I think. I should have made this number one. Force Dak Prescott to throw the ball. Because the Jets have the seventh best run defense in the league, believe it or not. 
And when Dak throws the ball over 32 times a game, the Cowboys lose. Because that looked to have been the game plan. I guess I went back and studied the Green Bay's, the Green Bay Packers plan and the New Orleans Saints plan. Because to make him throw the ball more than it worked out to be 32 times per game. Because for Green Bay, he passed the ball 44 times, Dak Prescott. Rating was 83.8. His second worst of the season. When they played New Orleans, 33 pass attempts for Dak. Rating was 73.2, the worst of the season. But somehow the Cowboys still have the most offensive yards per game in the league. So uh, my final score prediction for the Jets-Cowboys, I'm not giving the Jets any hope. 24, uh, let's go like this, Cowboys 24, Jets 14. Forget about it. And if you're a Giants fan, although you lost to the Patriots, you have stuff to build on there. And you got Saquon Barkley's probably coming back. And we'll see about Ingram and Shepard. But Barkley alone is a game changer. Jeff in Jersey City, you're on the fan. Danielle, thank you. How are you? Good. Um, listen, I, uh, I I love uh, I love your show absolutely, oh, thank um, you. and your conversation um, with the legend uh, Jim uh, Laris. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like you. I like uh, the Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets, Rangers. I used to love the Knickerbockers, but now after last season, I hate David Fisdale and Perry Mills. So <laughs> that's another story. But I have a question for you about the Giants and the future. Uh, let me finish my comments. Maybe you could answer it at the end here. Sure. Um, I, think, I think as they move um, Oh, and by the way, I wrote you a note on your social media. I don't know if you got it on your page, but um, similar co- compliments. Uh, you know, I, as I said, I just love uh, the way you do the program and your experience, the stories you tell about how you played, how you coach, everything about it. So you're doing a great job. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate but, it. Um, All right. What do you got for the Giants, though? Yeah. <laughs> All right, the Giants uh, on the on, on on the quarterback thing, and I'm wondering. I think Eli's a team player, and I hope he's helping Jones. Maybe I'm gonna shed some light on that for me as we finish. My comment on the Mets and Girardi, uh is um, it, the villain here is um, Brody Van Wagner. He's a he's a faker. He's ruining a good team. He's not taking Joe Girardi. This is a charade that he's that he's putting on here. As you said, it should have been done yesterday already. And um, he, he, you know what he's doing, really? He's destroying a good team. And I'm wondering how long it's going to take for the Will Ponds to fire this clown. This guy's a moron. He shouldn't be in this position that he's in. So, you know, they can't get rid of him soon enough. I don't, I, I don't know. He's, he's sending the team in, down, 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 the, uh, down the drain. I, I, I just feel that. All right, Jeff, thanks for the call. Um, I think the first question was about uh, Daniel Jones and Eli. Um, I, the relationship, as far as I know and am partial to, has been great. Eli has been more than a great teammate to him, as as expected. I mean, Eli is full of class. So um, with that, I think that, especially in going uh, with Tom Brady, against Tom Brady, I think Daniel Jones really leaned on Eli for a lot of that, a lot of the strategy, a lot of the game plan. And Brody Van Wagenen, I'm, my jury's still out on Brody Van Wagenen because although we gave – Cano, that horrible contract, long-term, lots of money. He also locked up Jacob deGrom, and wasn't that a priority for Mets fans, that you wanted Jake De- Jacob deGrom on your team for a long time to come? I think he's. I, I think in that sense, I, he, he's, he's good and bad. And I think you just, I wouldn't t- say he's out to destroy the team, 
because he's only had one off season and he made significant Im- improvements in the Mets in that off season. So, um, and, and there's numbers to back it up. And I've been on here and I talked about that. So I'd give him at least one more year. I, I'm not so downtrodden on him. Um, but you know, time is going to tell with that. David in Tucson, you're on the fan. Yeah. How you doing? I mean, uh, I am a Mets guy, uh, and I'll talk about that. And you know, the Jets, yeah, we have, we're gonna have to give probably Gase another year. You know, the last call it too. <laughs> Look, this guy worked as as an agent, and he brought a lot of his guys. Mm-hmm. Um, if Diaz was half the man and probably taking the juice, we could have been in the playoffs where the Nationals are number one. Number two, yep. Cano, if he was even eighty percent, and I believe he's helped out Rosario. I went to a few games, uh, literally here in Arizona. I went to a, a game uh, in, in my kids went to games in New York. I watched a lot. Robinson Cano is going to be fine. I know. I know it was it, we took on a contract and all that, but the team itself, you know, if they keep Wilson Ramos, we got Degrom, Syndergaard. You know, if Stroman comes out, if they could start playing their baseball cards, McNeil could play anywhere, man. I'm mm-hmm. I'm telling you, from the back boy, you know to to bring in the driving the golf cart, bringing in the bullpen, and he does this it happily. McNeil, he does yeah, it yeah. with a smile and, and, on his and, face. He'll do anything. He has six, seven gloves. He's like Jose Okendo, but times ten. <laughs> and and I and I like the kid. Uh, um, we're gonna have a good season, okay? You know, Mickey Callaway was terrible. Uh, I was on a boomerang geo a year ago, June, saying this guy is a washout because he never managed. The Will Pounds brought him in. Uh, Alderson got rid of our great players, got rid of Daniel Murphy over personal things, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. All I know, maybe, and maybe Cespedes could come back, maybe, and, and we get a manager that knows not to take out pitchers when they're under 90 pitches or or or, 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 or put four fingers up with a 190 batter where Bryce Harper comes up and you had J.T. Will Muto as well as... Uh, you know, Jay Bruce on a bench, you know, stupid stuff that he did throughout that season. You know, we could have, could have, should have, would have. I, I believe in acceptance. I'm out here in a beautiful Tucson. It's mm-hmm. going to be the best weather till, you know, next thing you know, it's March and baseball season comes. And, and you know what, Jets and Giant fans, and, I, and I, I've been to more Giant games. We got a young team, too, there on both sides, and, and hopefully they'll, you know, establish it. it, it lastly, lastly, it's a billionaire boys club. Things are going to happen. We have no control. We just got to root, root hard. Mets, Jets, Knicks are, Knicks are terrible in a way that I like the Brooklyn Nets. I'm from Brooklyn originally. And let's go Rangers. Thanks so much for putting me on the air. <laughs> Thanks, David. You held on for a long time, so I let you go there a little bit. He held on for uh, like 25 minutes or so. So, um, I mean, yeah, there is youth. And I think that the Mets realized the talent that they have at such a premium, I'm, ter- I'm talking like contract dollars, and I think they finally like wisened up and realized that, well, they can't wait any longer. Mets are in win-now mode, whether you like it or not, and they cannot afford time-wise to break in a new manager. They just can't. This Carlos Beltran, that's, that's, that's cute. But I, t- I, s- I was here last week, and I said – my number one pick is Joe Girardi. Bench coach, I would love to see David Wright as a bench coach. Has anybody can, – can anybody get David Wright on the phone? Can, can I ask him if he'd be willing to, uh, to, to be a bench coach? 
Hey, Kevin, can, can you get David right on the phone for me? Let me ask him if he wants to be the best coach. <laughs> He's smiling. <laughs> Um, but seriously, I mean, maybe Carlos Beltran would be okay too, but you know, he, he'll be gone in two years and they always talk about coaching trees. You know, is that the start of a coaching tree for Joe Girardi? Maybe that, that Beltran goes out and gets a managerial job. I don't know. Um, and we have about 20 minutes left on the fan. I got some calls on hold. You guys hang there. If you want to load some more up, it's 877-337-6666. Mets, Yankees, Jets, Giants. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. And for one final time, I'm Danielle McCartan, your hostess on WFAN this morning. It's 542. We got about, I would say maybe like 13 more minutes to go together. Um, The big news of the day is that the Yankees are going to be playing in game two of the ALCS. And when I looked at, and I did some McCartan math, I looked at team batting, starters numbers, and relief pitching. And I just tweeted the graphic at Coach MCCARTAN if you wanted to follow along with the visual. I looked at seven, seven different categories for team batting only in the postseason. These are postseason numbers. The Yankees have the advantage in all seven of them batting average, runs per game, on base percentage, on baseball slugging, home runs a game, RBIs a game, and total bases a game. The Yankees are better, in conclusion, the Yankees are a better hitting team than the Astros. As far as relief pitching, let's say, the Yankees have the advantage in ERA, batting average against, and runs per outing. All three of them. The only thing that the Astros have the advantage of is in starting pitching, batting average against. They have a lower batting average against than the Yankees. However, the Yankees have a lower ERA, and they give up less runs a game. And this is not including tonight's stats, just so you know. So I think the Yankees have a really good chance of winning this series. Eric in Ronkonkoma, what do you have for me? Hey, Danielle, good morning. Morning. Uh, Listen, real quick on Van Wagen and before my Yankee thing, uh, I believe he's a personal friend of Jeff Wilpon, so... Uh, I, I don't. I think it's going to take a lot for them to get rid of him anyway. But I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Um, listen, I, I'll preface it by saying I didn't watch the game last night on there, but you did kind of touch on the on the point a little bit. You know, I've always had an issue with the analytics part of this, and 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 you said it exactly what I would have said. I mean, why couldn't you just leave him in there? You know, at least start him in the next inning. You know, if if he looks like he's starting to waver, then you take him out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the first game of a, of a possible seven game series. You know, you know why? Why take the chance and and maybe burning out the bullpen? Right. I mean, you don't know what you're going to need in the next game on there. I mean, and, and if he's not showing any signs of struggling up to the point, which I believe he had said earlier, there's no reason why they couldn't at least you know trot him out there at least one, maybe two batters. He might he might add a six pitch inning for all you know. Yep, uh, Eric, I'm totally with you on that, and thanks for hanging on for that. Um, I'm totally with you. I think, uh, and I've said it. I think Tanaka should have been sent out there for at at the first until the first sign of trouble and i do not like that the yankees showed their hand showed their card and they didn't even they brought in like their number one relievers here they brought in Ottavino in britain they're not bringing in sessa or green here guys that's what kind of bothers me too and they're up five nothing wasn't like it was a one nothing eight five nothing that's what kind of bothers me but what are you gonna do 
Tanaka's numbers say that his his home run, his propensity to give up the home run increases exponentially in the third um, third time around through the order. You have guys that can that can hit, change the complexion of a game with one swing. But what kind of damage could they really do? If the plan, my plan is to to get him out of the first sign of trouble. Then we're looking at solo home runs. I mean, five one in the seventh. I guess uh, I guess Aaron Boone didn't want to go down that path, especially in Houston. Ed in Beachwood, you're on the fan. Yeah, hi Danielle. Um, I, actually, I uh, listened to what you're saying about the Yankees, and I think um, you know the Yankees have a, a very strong hitting team. Uh, the, the next two games, I think, are going to be the telltale sign of whether or not they're going to just uh, dominate the series, or it's going to be competitive. If they, you know, if they manage to win this, uh, the next two games or one of the next two games, you know, it, it, it's not going to really be much of a series. It's just take, take control. Yep. But um, the one, th- the reason why I called actually, is I just wanted your opinion on something. First of all, I will say that uh, I like Giardi uh, for the Mets. And I, I do like your idea about David Wright being a defense coach. That's, that's pretty cool. Right. Um, the, but the reason I called was this, and I want your opinion on this. Do you think that it would make sense to put Syndergaard as the closer and then uh, bring uh, Lugo in as a starter? I don't like it. I, I don't like it. And Ed, thanks for the call. I, I think it's it's not just that could he do it or not. It's a mentality thing. Noah Syndergaard is, is, is fragile. Let's admit it. He, he's got a fragile mentality. And I, I don't like it at all. I think Lugo should stay where he is. He was their best arm out of the bullpen. Keep him there. Keep him there until at least Edwin Diaz can figure it out. But even then, I'm not moving him. And I think Noah Syndergaard should stay exactly where he is. He he, he handles a bulk of the load. And, and I don't want to hear you know anything else. I, I mean... What is the advantage of moving Noah Syndergaard, who can pitch, who could give you six, seven innings? Why give him one in a closer role? Ah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all, and I like to keep Lugo right where he is as well. Joe in Westbury, you're on the fan. Good morning, Danielle. How you doing? Good. How are you? Good. I'm uh, just excited as anything about the Yankee win last night, mm-hmm. but I, I got to say that uh, I couldn't agree with uh, Boone Moore by taking Tanaka out. I might be the only Yankee fan who thinks like that, but the Yankees got a plan, and the plan is to take him out just because he's really pitching really, really great. And everybody on Twitter said, why'd they take him out? Adovino's got to get work, and Britain's got to get work. And if these guys don't bring him in and let them get their work in and keep them sharp, you're going to regret that too. Just to stroke his ego or make Yankee fans happy to leave Tanaka in makes no sense. I know it's 64 pitches, but it was absolutely the right move. They've got a plan. The plan works. Mm, I don't know about that, Joe. I mean, the guy had he was cr- absolutely cruising. You you wouldn't Cruise, leave him, you would, absolutely you wouldn't leave him in for for one, the first sign of trouble, then yank him and no. and, and let and no. that, wouldn't that be more quality work then for for a, a relief pitcher to to work out of a jam there? No, let the relief pitchers start clean. Why haven't him work out of a jam? Uh, to keep him sharp. Pushing the envelope. Maybe to keep him sharp? He's, he was sharp enough. He had men on base. He did get out of a jam. He got the double play ball out of Vino. Was it mm. out of Vino or Britain? I he did. Remember. It was out of Vino. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Joe, Joe, thanks for the call. Um, As you can see, there are two schools of thought there. Um, I am still – there's nothing that's going to waver me. I think you you stick with Tanaka. You don't show your hand. And uh, because now now Houston tomorrow – is Adovino available tomorrow? Is is Britain available tomorrow? And if not, then tomorrow you're going to go to Sessa or or or, or Green or Cece. That's a big question mark for me. I, that I don't like. Maybe a mix and match. If you want to keep them sharp, maybe you use Adovino and Sessa. Maybe you use uh, um, Green and and Britain. Mix and match. But I don't think you throw your best ones out there. I'm glad he didn't put Chapman out there. Then I would have had a heart attack. <laughs> but, you know, I think the Yankees have a good chance of winning this series, and it's got to start tomorrow or later today, 8.08 p.m., because Verlander or Cole, they have to beat one of them. Verlander is the weaker link of the two of them. And his numbers are great versus the Yankees. I mean, the the highest batting average against him is three thirty three, DJ LeMahieu, and that's not all that high. He doesn't surrender a lot of home runs versus the Yankees. And when you compare him to to Paxton, oh my God, he blows Paxton out of the water, postseason numbers-wise, I'm saying. And Yankees are up for a tall task tomorrow. And even a taller task back at the stadium when they take on Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, over the his two starts versus Tampa Bay, fanned, struck out 20 Five Tampa Bay Rays. 25 of them. 25 Rays he sat down. The good news for the Yankees, though, and, and I'm not sure why the Astros did this, but every pitcher on the Astros roster is a right-handed pitcher. And the Yankees, good news, are way better versus right-handed pitching than they are versus left-handed pitching. And they have... A 309 batting average, a 419 on base percentage, 999 on base plus slugging, and all of their five postseason home runs are, are off right handed pitchers. And that's not even counting tonight, or game one at least. So the Yankees have an advantage in, in that sense, but it all comes with using the, the Tampa Bay method in, in getting. Justin Verlander out of the game after what was it three point two innings they got they knocked him out of the game in one of those games, that's the key. That's the key. And the Yankees bats have to come alive, and that's it. But tonight they were off to a very good start. I mean, like I said before, not one of the Yankees postseason games this year have been close. They've all been blowouts. They've all been almost mercy ruled. You know, when you're a kid and you have mercy rules, it's been almost every single game. And as a Yankee fan, you can't really ask for more. And I just want to say thanks to every one of the callers that has called tonight. I could not have done it without you tonight. It's been a fun three hours. And uh, I just love coming here and talking to you all all night. Thanks for calling in. I want to send another thank you to World Series champion Jim Laritz for joining us tonight lending his Yankees perspective and giving us that story, my favorite story about how Derek Jeter took his first subway ride to the parade, no less. Um, hey, Kevin, great job tonight, really. And to Marco on the update, 
Enjoy week six action, guys. The Giants have already fallen to the Patriots on Thursday night football. They're now sit at two and four while the Patriots are six and oh. There aren't any NFC's divisional play happening, but either Washington or Miami will come out with their first victory, and the Giants are hoping for a Minnesota miracle to beat the visiting Eagles. Giants fans just may become Jets fans for just tomorrow. The three and two Cowboys are at the 0 and four Jets, 425 on CBS. And the Dallas are seven points favorites. Obviously, the Yankees are in Houston, 8.08 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. First pitch, John and Susan here on WFAN. See you all then. And in the meantime, hit my socials at Coach McCartan or Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Let's keep the conversation going there. Bob Salter is up next. Thanks, everybody. Sports Radio 66.